This programme was first broadcast on Canterbury's community access radio station Plains FM 96.9 and was made with the assistance of New Zealand On Air. Hi and welcome to the Alcoholics Anonymous radio show here on Plains FM 96.9. My name is Louise and I'm an alcoholic. The purpose of this show is to increase public awareness of Alcoholics Anonymous as an effective means of recovery from the disease of alcoholism. Our show has two parts. First, we'll talk a bit about alcoholism, what it is and what AA can do to help. Then we'll interview a recovering alcoholic who is an active member of AA. I'm now going to ask our guest to read the AA preamble, which is read at the start of every AA meeting. Hello, Kane. I'm an alcoholic. Alcoholic Anonymous is a fellowship of men and women who share their experiences, strength and hope with each other that they may solve their common problem and help others to recover from alcoholism. The only requirement for membership is a desire to stop drinking. There are no dues or fees for AA. Membership. We are self-supporting for our own contributions. AA is not allied with any sect, denomination, politics, organisation or institution, does not wish to engage in any controversy, neither endorses nor opposes any causes. Our primary purpose is to stay sober and help other alcoholics to achieve sobriety. Thanks, Kane. So what is alcoholism? Alcoholism is a disease, not a disgrace. There's no shame in having an illness or a disease. An unusual feature of this disease is that it will do whatever it can to convince you that you do not have it. However, once it has a hold of you, the progression of symptoms is like the classic disease model and the victim is as helpless as a sufferer of cancer. If you are an alcoholic, you're at the beginning of a long road that usually ends in one of three places. Prisons, institutions or death. If you think this sounds dramatic, we can assure you that our collective experience has shown this to be true. The challenge is to convince the alcoholic to admit that they need help and become willing to seek it. Denial is a major symptom of alcoholism. The alcoholic is often the last one to recognise it and admit that they have it. Our definition of alcoholism is it is an allergy of the body coupled with an obsession of the mind. The allergy is the physical aspect of the disease. After having the first drink, the phenomenon of craving develops and we lose control over when we will stop drinking. The old saying is, one is too many and a thousand is never enough. And yet, because of the obsession of the mind, the mental aspect of the disease, the alcoholic is compelled to keep picking up the first drink. And this is what makes us powerless. We often hear from sober alcoholics that many doubted whether life could be fun without alcohol. Fortunately, these same people report that their lives have improved dramatically since they became sober. The 12-step program of recovery, which is discussed at meetings which, and which is outlined in the Alcoholics Anonymous Big Book, is how we get sober and maintain our sobriety one day at a time. 
This program has a proven track record of helping otherwise hopeless alcoholics to achieve long-term sobriety and recovery. It has taught us how to enjoy life sober. Okay, for anyone who's just joined us, you're listening to the Alcoholics Anonymous radio show here on Plains FM 96.9. We're just about to interview an AA member who is going to share their experience with alcoholism. Right, so let's meet our guest. Kane, would you like to introduce yourself and tell us a little bit about who you are? Hello, my name's Kane um, and I'm 49 years old. I returned to Christchurch about two and a half years ago from Sydney, Australia. Welcome back. All right. So how long have you been sober? Over two years now. Brilliant. Two years. That's awesome. And did you get sober here in Christchurch? or Yes. Yes, so you did. Excellent. And any family, children? Yes. My family has a... Uh, I'm part Māori. Mm-hmm. And my family has a uh, record or history of uh, alcohol abuse, drug okay. abuse, uh, sexual abuse, mm-hmm. physical abuse, um, sort of once were warriors type okay. scenario. Okay. So tell us a little bit about your childhood then. What was it like growing up? Uh, it was fun, uh, but retrospectively, there was mm-hmm. a lot of stress. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was first drunk when I was four years old. Wow. Um, I was a regular drug and alcohol user by the age of 12. Mm-hmm. And when I say regular, I really mean regular. Mm-hmm. So alcohol and drugs were normal. Mm. Alcohol and drugs in the family were normal. Uh, my family were generally involved in gangs enforcement, mm-hmm. uh, drug okay. uh, dealing and that type of stuff. So really wrapped up in it. Yes. Okay. So tell us about what it was like as a 12-year-old drinking. How did it make you feel? I thought it was normal. Okay. Because that's what the behavior was of the people around Mm -hmm. me. And that's your siblings and uh, friends as well? Everyone. Everyone. Yeah. I sort of led the pack a bit with another little (laughs) Māori friend of mine. But, you know, that's what we did. Mm, Okay. Everyone got wasted. You know, that's what I thought you did. Mm-hmm. I played a lot of sport and I was very successful at sport. Okay. And again, I just thought, you know, you play sport, uh, get wasted afterwards, mm-hmm. train during the week, mm-hmm. etc. Yep. And school, like, so, you know. Absolutely. What? We, I, My family ran a very large drug distribution centre. Mm-hmm. And I uh, went to a private school. Mm-hmm. Um, and was successful in sport there. Yep. But I used to spend a lot of time down at our uh, place where we dealt drugs, or just down the mm. road. So I'd go down there, smoke marijuana, drink, mm-hmm. go back to school. So, so tell us about how that drinking, you know, what was it like as, as you grew up and, and moved into, your, into adulthood? Yeah, I was blessed with being uh, pretty successful at anything I did. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And in a lot of ways, it made me very sort of lazy. Okay. So because things came easy to me, it didn't matter whether it was education, sport or whatever, mm-hmm. I took sort of things for granted. Mm-hmm. So, for example, when I finished school, my friends, I said to them, what are we doing? They said, oh, well, we go to university now. So, And they literally involved, enrolled me in an accounting uh, <laughs> course, which right. I did for two years. Mm-hmm. And I would test it. You know, I'd go drunk or stoned to certain classes, mm. other ones I mm. wouldn't. 
Um, I passed and I got myself a business degree. Um, I went on to run a $40 million business and work for the youngest and quickest billionaire in Australian history. Right. Second most successful stock float. So one of the things I think that addicts have, because I've discovered Mm -hmm. in this last two years that I'm pretty much addicted to anything, is we have an ability to become, I'd almost call it obsessive about Mm -hmm. things. (laughs) I'm obsessive with coffee now. Mm -hmm. And... So I understand. it can work for a while, mm. but you know when I look at my life, mm. I it amazes me when I think what could have what I could have done mm. if I wasn't mm. wasted, basically. Mm. And I, and I, it's uh, look, I really I really um, relate to the you know having that successful life makes it potentially so much harder for us to realise, and and so. So tell us about what the drinking, you know, was like. How did it con- continue? Did you drink socially? You know, did you drink alone? No, I just drank all the time. Okay. You know, so that that was sort of normal. And because I'd grown up with pretty full-on people, the problem when you're around, when you're in danger, you don't understand that that's not normal. Mm. I realise that now. To mm. So to be very stressed as a child uh, through uh, abuse... Mm-hmm. Um, you don't realise that it's not normal. Mm. I moved to a very affluent part of Sydney in the Northern Beaches mm-hmm. and I lived in a place, uh, the most beautiful place in an area called Newport mm-hmm. and lots of white people. And I remember when I used to live there and get invited over to friends for barbecues and that, and I'd look at people and go, oh my goodness, this is how other people live. Wow. It was quite weird. Mm. Even though the school I'd gone to, a lot of kids were trust fund children, etc. I, um, you know, it was like living a basically a dual life. Mm. Uh, and, I, you know, I became a bit of an arsehole because I thought I was like this chosen person. <laughs> and really rejected a lot of my family, mm. late, you know, during my sort of 18, when I went to university mm-hmm. and school. Mm-hmm. So uh, there was a lot of growing up to do, mm-hmm. basically. And so, you know, tell us, you know, what happened when you drank? You know, did you get into trouble? Yeah, I, I was um, violent. Okay. I wasn't a good drunk. Okay. Did you get into trouble with the law? Y- yes, but again, I was always lucky in everything I did. Okay. You know, I remember once I, I was on my way to see my girlfriend in Dunedin, who studied in Dunedin, and I drove through a 50 kilo, kilometre, 60 kilometre a uh, little town at about 120 kilometres, mm. got pulled over. I was drinking, <laughs> had a drink between my legs. They tested me for drinking and I was under. Wow. The car reeked of pot and I had a large amount of pot that I was taking down to the university to sell. And a police officer came along and he said, do you have any marijuana? Because the, the copper couldn't do anything. And I said, yeah, I did. I had some joints rolled and I gave it to him. And all he said to me was, uh, you know, go and take a break at the pub after this time. You can go. Once I was on a stolen motorbike, which was my brother-in-law's, the police chased me because I just couldn't be bothered switching on the light on the way back from my girlfriend's. (laughs) Uh, They chased me. I came off the motorbike. They knew my mother, who was a cleaner at the police station. Wow. You know, they taught me nothing happened, nothing about the bike. Mm. So I had a lot of luck. Mm. Um, 
you know, a very famous uh, rugby coach. In fact, three current and past All Black coaches coached me when I was a child. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. One of them used to ring the team and say, get Kane out of that house. We're observing it. Wow. (laughs) Do you know what I mean? Stop going around there. So I was incredibly lucky. Wow. And just, yeah, something... Something bigger there, looking looking over you. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. So tell us about then. You know what was what was your decline? What was your rock bottom? Anger. Okay. Yeah. So it would manifest at work. It would pretty much manifest anywhere. Mm-hmm. I don't actually know how I'd never killed anyone, okay. but I could just flip. Wow. Uh, didn't matter whether it was in traffic. It could be walking along a road in the city. Okay. Uh, had many fights growing up, many beaten up many times, yep. etc. Um, loved rugby, loved rugby league. Mm-hmm. I used to like hurting people. Mm. Um, so, yeah, that's how it really manifested. Unfortunately, um, I came back to Christchurch and I'd started getting angry with my children. Mm-hmm. My daughter is uh, nine, my son is seven. Right. He was about five, four then. Okay. And on one occasion I kicked in the, the door to the bathroom mm. and this was a turning point because I literally kicked the door in mm. and I just saw my little boy just mm. sitting there on the toilet. <laughs> yeah. And it just, I couldn't, you know, like, I couldn't believe it. It was devastating. Normally I cry when I say that because... You know, I was just like, I don't want to do this to mm. him. You know what I mean? Mm. It, mm. it was just like, I don't want this to, this crap to continue. To carry on. Yeah. And this was while, you know, I'd already gone into AA at this point. Okay. Okay. So, I'd, I'd, so pretty much within two weeks of landing, <laughs> a friend of mine had enrolled me in. in mm-hmm. uh, and it was, a, it was a God job. So to, so let's let's go back to you know when at what point did you think you're drinking you're drugging the lifestyle you were living was a problem did you ever think it was a problem no it wasn't until I went into the rooms of AA okay so tell us how did you get there did someone bring you, someone brought you in yes so what happened was I got told I, I've done a lot of I got into spirituality and from about 2000 travelled the world and studied with a lot of masters Taoist okay. masters Hindu masters all over the world what got you into that was that something you wanted just weirdness I, I was uh, I'd done incredibly well at business yeah and I thought I'd sort of semi made it I was making a mm-hmm. fortune mm-hmm. and I got very bored needed something more yeah, and one day I was walking along a street in Sydney, in the city, and literally looked at the sign, walked upstairs, and I ended up in this room where these people were hyperventilating okay. um, and had this experience. Wow. Which I could never explain. Okay. Uh, and then this, this journey sort of unfolded okay. from there. So you were still drinking Absolutely. through this period, though? Absolutely. Okay, okay yeah. so you travelled the world? Yes. Okay, what was that like? You know, doing this beautiful, magical, spiritual experience, but also still drinking. My first master was a lady called Amma, and she's known as the Hugging Saint of India. Okay. And she just goes around the world hugging people. Wow. So I'd been on a business trip in Fiji, and I'd, then I'd gone on a cruise, and I'd met a woman who told me about spirituality. There was also a man there from California who was a transcendental meditationalist. So when I got back to Sydney, I started doing transcendental meditation, but I went and checked out this master. 
Okay. And, uh, you know, sort of like ticking something off a Mm -hmm. to-do list. Mm -hmm. And when I got there, she sort of looked like Yoda from the Star Wars movies. And, you know, I didn't want to leave my expensive shoes at the door. And I was like, you know, what are you doing? But something happened. Wow. And fundamentally what happened was time, there was no time while I was there. Yep. And when I looked at my watch later on in the evening, like five or six hours had passed. Wow. What an experience. Yes, and so then that's what led to this experience. So, you know, moving forward quite quickly, when I met her, she just loved me. Mm-hmm. And I started crying, and I wasn't even sure why I was crying, but whenever I'd be around her or whatever, mm-hmm. I'd just mm-hmm. bought, I'd cried a river. Mm-hmm. And so what I realized was this amazing being, human, who'd done all these incredible things, just loved me for who I was. Okay. And what I understood intimately was that she knew me, but she saw actually who I actually mm. was, the true me. Which was? What was the, you know, what, what did that feel like at that point for you? Well, it's like God looking at you and saying, if you believe in God or whatever this thing is, and saying, I love you and it's going to be okay. Mm. And, and also, I forgive you. Okay. And so ha- tell us then, how, you know, how did this lead you into recovery? So all of my masters taught, don't drink, don't do drugs. Uh, I still did. Okay. Um, and, but, but I started doing a thing called soul communication and different forms of uh, communicating with different types of beings. Mm-hmm. And so I'd always get messages. Okay. And um, literally, I was at home and the message came to me. It said, in 20 weeks, move back to Christchurch. Sort out your stuff with your father before he dies, mm-hmm. and stop drinking and drugging. Wow! So, so, so you'd been given a time frame. Correct. Did you do that? I did exactly that. Wow! And it happened in an astronomical anomaly, which was two years ago in about Jan Feb, all of the planets aligned in a perfect line during one month, and that was the exact time. Uh, that I came over mm-hmm. um, and as I was f- literally flying in the voice kept saying to me mate just stop you know like leave that you, it's time to have a break you know okay. just just stop I literally landed was smoking marijuana with my mate almost instantaneously went back to his house had a drink at about 2 in the morning mm-hmm. got wasted again mm-hmm. and um, you know just thought I'd have a little hurrah before the family came The next morning, I got talking to this gentleman about a really crazy guy that I'd grown up with. And he turned around and said, dude, he went crazy 20 years ago, stopped drinking, and now he's this really successful man. Mm So is he he who took you to your Correct. And I literally jumped on Google, did a search, tracked him down, rang him up, and he said, come on over. And what... I noticed in him and what I noticed in a lot of long-term people in this program was he just had this thing about his eyes. It was mm. like this contentment and beauty. Okay. And I looked at him and I was like, I want what you have got. Yeah. So tell us about what, what it was like for you, though, then getting into recovery and stopping drinking. Uh, to tell you the truth, for me, it was relatively easy. Okay. Uh and I think that was due partly because I'd really started to put the, the brakes on it. Mm-hmm. But I was always a binger. Okay. So if I did, I did it mm-hmm. stupidly. Okay. So my last drink, um, 
in Christchurch, I invited friends over to a friend's place, it was a cricket match or something was on, I bought all this alcohol uh, and then I literally spun out at two o'clock in the afternoon <laughs> on this couch mm-hmm. and I was vomiting mm. and it was bizarre. So what happened was when I went to my first meeting at Littleton, okay. uh, close to where I work, which is a men's group, I turn up to the meeting and I'm like, because my friend says, come on, come along to this meeting. I was like, why not? Because my mother uh, had gone to AA. She was mm-hmm. a chronic okay. alcoholic. Okay, so you knew a bit about it? Not really. Okay. <laughs> because I hadn't, you know, I'd sort of been pretty tough on her to tell you the truth. Sure. She, she's since passed away. Uh, but proud of her for doing that. And, yeah, so I came into the rooms and the first meeting I was just like, no, this isn't me. You okay. know, these people are losers and all this. The second meeting, I went, oh, my goodness, I'm an alcoholic. Wow. What did and that feel like? It felt not bad. Okay. Yeah. It, it, I think almost a relief. I think yep. because I was ready, mm-hmm. it was ju- it just, you know, how couldn't I be? Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, and then I had 12 months. That was pretty sort of easy. So uh, what are some of the things that you were taught to do in that sort of first 12 months? Well, I didn't do them, of course. Okay. <laughs> okay. <laughs> right. Yeah. Tell us about that. Because I'm really good at not <laughs> doing what I'm told. So I got told to do 90 meetings, which okay. I didn't. I did one meeting a week. Right. I got told to get a sponsor, which I didn't. Okay. Um, and I got told to so get a sponsor, start the steps. Okay. And what happened was I went insane. Mm. And literally 12 months to that day... I wanted to leave my wife. Mm. <laughs> she was the cause of all the problems in my of life. <laughs> and I rang my sister, who's been in recovery for quite a long time in Auckland, and she put me on to her husband also, who's mm-hmm. uh, been in recovery for a long time. Mm-hmm. And he just said to me, this is a big call. Why don't you get yourself a sponsor and wait till you get to step four? Mm-hmm. And I trust and love them. I thought, yeah, that's not so bad. Mm-hmm. And then what was funny was I started going to different meetings. Okay. And literally, if if there was 100% of crap that I was carrying around, in the next meeting I went to, I felt like 25% of that weight was lifted off me. So it slowly started to make a difference. Well, it was actually quite quick right. in, in this period once I started doing what mm-hmm. I was told to do. Mm-hmm. So I went to another meeting and another 25. So in that week, I might have gone to four meetings mm. by the end of it. It was incredible. So tell us about your life today. Uh, it's, a, it's a gift. Yep. And uh, it's not easy. So for me, it's my head mm-hmm. that causes me the problems mm-hmm. and my thoughts. Um, but what I love about having a sponsor, what I love about the program, what I, what I love about my whanau in recovery is that these people get me and understand mm. me. So what are the things you do to maintain your sobriety today? I, I've been getting involved in a lot of uh, work within the organisation. Mm-hmm. So I'm a, an AA? Yes, with yep. an AA. I'm a GSR of a group. I'm a Great. treasurer of a group. I'm looking at doing another, uh, another position. Mm-hmm. Um, I still really need to go to more meetings. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, what's incredible about Christchurch is the amount of meetings that we have. Mm, like so There nothing. are so many. Yeah, absolutely. It's incredible. Well, thank you so much for coming on the show, Kane. Just one last question. What would you suggest for someone who thinks they might have a drinking problem? What are some of the things they can do? 
or ask themselves? I think it's the question is how is my life going? Mm -hmm. And if it's not going the way you thought it's going, the possibility may open up mm. that there are alternate alternatives. Yeah, brilliant. And I think that's it. Once again, thank you so much for coming on to the show and sharing your story. It's been a pleasure to have you here. Thank you very much. For our listeners, if you've related to anything that you've heard or would like some more information about Alcoholics Anonymous, you can look us up on the web at aa.org.nz or call us on 0800 AA Works. As we mentioned, there are over 60 meetings a week in Canterbury, so it's likely there's one near you. Join us next week to hear from more AA members sharing their experiences. That brings us to the end of the show. Thank you for listening and remember... If you want to drink, that's your business, but if you want to stop, we can help. You don't have to do it alone. We will now close the show with a serenity prayer, as we do in every AA meeting. God, God grant me serenity to accept the things I cannot change, courage to change the things I can, and the wisdom to know the difference. You've been listening to the Alcoholics Anonymous radio show on Plains FM 96.9. Desperado, why don't you come to your senses? You've been out riding fences for so long now. Oh, you're a hard one, but I know that you got your reasons. These things that are pleasing you can hurt somehow Don't you draw the queen of diamonds, boy She'll beat you if she's able You know the queen of hearts is always your best bet 